Welcome to the October 10th, 2019 version of the Science Fiction Club. And um, so, um, does anybody want to volunteer to go first, or does, do we do? Well, I'll, I'll go first with your help on this book. I, I read about three months ago, and I've forgotten a lot of it. Lord of Light by Roger, what's his last name? The Lasney. Right. I like that book. I read it. I've read it a few times. I should read it again because I, I was going. I went into Wikipedia right now to read the, just to remind myself of the summary. Mm -hmm. I found it be rather, you know, bewildering in a sense. It was almost like reading Hindu texts about. Yep. Yeah. Um, there is actually a quote. There is actually some quotations in there. Oh, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. Zelazny did his homework a little bit on that. Now, um, in the in the article in Wikipedia, they mentioned something about. You know, they're they're on a different. You know, Earth was destroyed, or on another planet, and they wipe and they wipe out the original inhabitants. I don't remember reading that in the book. But no. Now, why don't you give people a, a an idea as to the plot first before we go into the? Well, you'll have to help me with it. It it it, it takes place. One would think it takes place in in a in, in it could be in, well, it's not in India, but all the all the people that per the. The um, characters have Hindu names, um, and but they're not actually. One on one hand, one could think one's re reading a religious uh, Hindu text like the Bhagavad Gita or something like that, because it has to do with a lot of different uh, Hindu characters, and they, they represent the Hindu gods. Um, but it turns out that these are actually how, sh how should I put it? I mean, they're, they're people that, that take on the form of gods. They're technologically very advanced, exactly. is what they are. But for some reason, they, they, they use terms, and a lot of quotes, and also Buddhism is involved. And the main character, his name is Sam, at least that's, what is, do you remember what his real name is? Mahasamatman. Right, and, there's, and, and he is sort of like, a, a, he's a rebel against the gods. I guess you could say it's divided into two areas. There's heaven with the, with the Hindu gods who are, who are really uh, controlling beings, and then there's the earth-like area area with with cities with Hindu names. And Sam is, is is waging a war against the gods. He wants to impose his brand of Buddhism, and uh, there's a lot of a lot of action. There's a war. There's a lot. Of, there's a host of different characters in there. There's demons that that he that that ally himself. Those with are the world. natives, actually. The, the actual natives. Those were the natives of the planet, actually. Okay. Yeah. Which uh, basically these are these technologically. Did you read that book, Roger? You've read a lot. Have you read that one? Oh no, which one was it again? Lord of Light, where Roger's the last. <laughs> yes, I, yes, I seem to have read it, but it was a very long time ago, and I don't have much memory of it right now. So basically, if you're good, you get uploaded to an, another body in a better circumstance. And if you're bad, as defined by the gods who are the rulers, who are the technologically advanced crew of the ship that landed, then you get a, a worse existence. You could be reincarnated as an animal or a monkey. Like There was one that was reincarnated as an ape. Right, because he was he was part of the rebellion against the gods. It, it might be noted that if you read a lot of Roger Zelazny, he tends to base his stories on Hindu mythology, which is a little unusual among the science fiction or fantasy. 
and and he read another the first book i actually read by him was creatures of light and darkness which was actually based on egyptian mythology uh, i read that in braille and it was so far out i was like 12 years old at the time and man when you read that when you're 12 that is just far out that's all we could say back then because you know Cheech and chong were big back then and everything was far out well not everything but that book was really far out and so is Lord of Light, but that's the basic plot. And Sam is the Buddha, who's the rebel, who wants to overthrow the gods because they're basically, what did he say, T treating the planet as a combination playground and whorehouse or whatever he said, right. something like that, and treating the, the people, you know, oppressing the people, you know, the, the passengers, who ultimately the passengers who, but the crew had the, you know, they, they were the technologically, and they took, and they kept the, the technologically advanced uh, pro, uh, capabilities for themselves and oppressed the, you know, oppressed the natives and tried to destroy the actual planetary natives who were the, you know, See, the changing aliens. I don't remember where it mentioned that in the book, which chapter was. Uh, I might have slept through parts of it, I don't know. But one of the interesting characters there was, was Death, somewhat uh, one of the first... Yama, his name was Yama, but he was a very capable, scientifically, technically uh, capable, and he allied himself with the Buddha later on. And he, he was one of his best, you know, helpers, and he was actually able to survive the... because he was, he was just that kind of guy. He lands on his feet yeah, pretty uh, regularly. I liked the book a lot. I, I read it when it came out on Bard. It was converted from cassette, and uh, Patricia Redding LeClaire wrote it or re uh, narrated it. Right. And I, it brought back a lot of fond memories. But he actually quotes the Buddha's fire sermon in there, which is a famous discourse that the Buddha gives. Um, it's certainly a book that should, one should read, I think, more than once to really get the, you know, the full scope of it. Yeah, because it's like a lot of good science fiction. It doesn't lay out everything, and it, it throws you into the world, and then you you kind of, you know, you get the atmosphere of the world, and you pick things up as you go along, and it's such a radically different world that you kind of have to, you know, you have to be able to kind of swim a little bit with it until you, you know, you kind of get your bearings and you see what's going on. Zelazny wrote a lot of, you know, stuff like that, and especially earlier on, and later on he got a little more, you know, commercial, I think. But earlier on, he was more experimental and more imaginative. This book was written back in uh, 1967. 67, was it? Yeah, I think it was 67. And of course, you know, there was a lot of psychedelic stuff, and people were interested in Eastern right. uh, religions back then, Hinduism and Eastern mysticism and all that. So it was very timely in that way. Well, it was an experience, I must say. I don't know if I... <laughs> I'd like to read it again. I don't know if I have time to do it or not. But I right. Yeah, it's not a really huge book, but no. there are only so many hours in the day, and there are so many other books calling out there. I know how you feel. Right. Uh, but some books to me are like songs. I mean, nobody would, well, few people would say, I've heard a song once, I'm never going to hear it again, because I heard it already. You know, people like to rehear certain songs that they like, and I know books are longer, but and I don't do it with all, you know, the majority of books, but there are some books that I do want to reread again. I'm reading by the, the time. next one, which is going to, I'll probably need your help with too. If you haven't already, if you haven't read it already, I'll leave that to next month. Okay. All right. All right. I guess I'm finished. Okay. Well, all right. Well, that was fun though, because I enjoyed reading that book and, and I enjoyed talking about it. 
So Roger, you can go. You you can go second. You usually go first, but if you want to go second this time, okay, I'll go second this time. <laughs> I usually try to pick out a book that I have doubts that most of the rest of you have read. In this case, I have picked out a classic that I think there's a good chance that some, at least some of you have read, and if you haven't, then the question is, why haven't you? It's been out since 1932. <laughs> that is the When Worlds Collide by um, Philip Wiley and Edwin Bulmer. The version I read, I was checking Bard just a little while ago, and there seems to be more than one version on Bard. The one I read was the one uh, narrated by Gary Tipton. Uh, it contains both When Worlds Collide and the sequel After Worlds Collide. Um, now, an interesting thing, <coughs> this is early science fiction. It was 1932 was only six years after the very first science fiction magazine began publication, and it was four years after the very first recognized um, science fiction novel was published, which was Route One to Foresee for One Plus. And at that time, especially even earlier than 1932, but still by 1932, most science fiction was very poorly written. And the reason I think is Hugo Gerensbach got it started because he was a an electronics buff and into science, and he wanted to promote science, and especially what he called electrical invention. So he recruited writers to write science fiction or scientific fiction as he called it which um, who were also electronics and science buffs mostly they were engineers and they didn't know the first thing about writing well this one when worlds collide is actually written rather well and I think what happened is that um a couple of guys who actually did know how to write. In fact, they wrote in other genres. I think they wrote some mysteries and westerns, maybe too. They decided to try science fiction, and they actually knew how to write. But the trouble is, they didn't know much about science. Um, boy, do they make some scientific gaffes there. Um, of course, this being 1932, a lot of it is outdated anyway. It's outdated science, but um, some of it, even in 1932, it was known that when you take off from one planet and travel to another planet, you do not have to wait until you are right at the midpoint and the gravities of the planets balance out before you feel zero gravity for example, but in this story they do. Um, the premise of the story is that out of interstellar space comes a couple of planets. Apparently they had been torn from their original star many, many millions of years before and had been hurtling through space 
and find themselves coming directly at Earth. I I think they are called the Bronson bodies because they were discovered by a man named Bronson. And you have Bronson Alpha and Bronson Beta. Bronson Alpha is a large gas giant, and Bronson Beta is a smaller Earth-sized world, a rocky planet that orbits it. And um, these astronomers do their calculations and work out that Bronson Alpha is going to collide with Earth, which means that Earth will be completely destroyed. And they only have so much time doing to do something about it. So scientists in, well, of course, the story follows scientists in the United States who gather together in kind of a secret outpost to work on a spaceship that will take them elsewhere. And, of course, around the world in various countries, there are groups of scientists doing the same thing. And where do they intend to go? Well, it turns out that Bronson Beta is an Earth-sized world. It has an atmosphere. In fact, the atmosphere is just thawing out. And it had been frozen for who knows how many millennia. And they think they can survive if they get there. Now, you know, in 1932, there was no such thing as space travel, and they have to invent it. Um, what it comes down to, they have to invent a an atomic-powered rocket. And the Bronson bodies make a pass of Earth and really wreck things due to tidal forces on the first pass. But then it takes off to orbit the sun and come back, and they have about a year to work before it comes back and utterly destroys the Earth. When it comes back, they take off. And several um, um, groups take off from various parts of the world, too. Some of them obviously fail and crash back to Earth. And they're not really sure how many acts we make it. The group from the United States, there are two atomic-powered rocket ships taking off, and they kind of lose each other as they take off. And when they actually get to Beta, uh, to Beta Bronson, neither group is quite sure that the other made it. But they take off and land on Beta Bronson while the Earth is completely destroyed. And it turns out that before Beta Bronson had been torn from its original star, it had a civilization on it. Seems that the people who had the civilization are um, humanoid. They have left cities behind. Um, as the planet warms up, it turns out that some plants start uh, that have been frozen for all that time. Their seeds start germinating and it starts greening. And by the way, those cities have very well-stocked um, uh, food pantries, so to speak. Plenty of food there. So they can start over a civilization on another planet. And But the trouble is they carry their nationality, national conflicts with them. Yeah. They find themselves in kind of a war. Uh, I'm going to say that most of the 
scientific gaffes that are made. The, um, what was his name? I forget his name now, but some, um, 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 all right, it doesn't come to my mind, but a modern science fiction writer wrote an introduction to this double volume book, and he covers most of the scientific gaffes that are made. And also, there were some very uncomfortable, let us say, racial assumptions that were brought along in the story from 1932. Um, so that it, um, it, it, let's put it this way, it is, this book is not what you would, by modern standards, would be considered very politically correct. But um, still, even despite those things, despite the scientific gaffes and despite the um, racist overtones of it, the writing, like I said, is good. And, and back in 1932, you do not find much science fiction that has really good writing to it. So despite its shortcomings, I recommend it. And uh, how many, I, like I said, I suspect that most of, or some of the rest of you have read it, but... Um, how long is it? If you haven't, you should have. So it's like, how many of you have read it? How long of a book is it? 17 hours and something. Not too bad. At, least, at least the version I read. It's two books combined. Uh, when Worlds Collide and After Worlds Collide. I was looking at Bard, and I think there's a couple of other versions that might be just the first volume, and they might be a bit shorter. Hello? Hello. Hello. I'm sorry, I'm late. Yeah, yeah. There's there, right? Yes, it's back. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know, has, has anyone else read that, that book besides Roger? I think I read it many years ago. Um, I saw the movie first, actually. It was a classic movie. I don't remember much about it. But, yeah, I think I read that. But it's been so long now, I don't remember very much. But I do remember it a little bit. It was 40 years ago, I think, or something when I read it. I'm not sure exactly um, if there's an old, I think there's an older NLS version, but I'm not positive now. I'll have to look it up. Well, I just, I just looked, uh, before I got on here, I looked it up at the, at Bard by typing in the words when worlds collide, and I got yeah. three, three results. Right. The third one was read by Gary Tipton. Mm -hmm. And it's 17 hours and something and contains both, both volumes. I did not look closely at the other two, but I think they may only contain the first volume. Right. Yeah, I don't think I read the second book. Yeah, basically, the first, the first book ends when the colonists arrive at their new planet. The second book takes up there and... Um, goes into all the explorations they are doing, exploration of the alien cities and the conflicts they um, come into with other groups that have es escaped to that planet. Okay. Well, it is a classic and very and ahead of its time in many ways, with, despite the gaffes. I mean, it was very ambitious for its time. You know. I think uh, I have not read this, but I have over the years 
heard a lot of allusions to when worlds collide. And um, I may give it a try. Uh, what I'm kind of, um, I guess, more uh, attuned to right now are, if anyone has recommendations for good science fiction collections. Um, well, I can give you lots of good ones. They're all the year's best annual uh, collections edited by Gardner Dozois. They're very large collections. Uh, they start with, I don't know how many there are now. Bard must have about 20 of them. Um, they're up to 35, but I don't think Bard has all the earlier ones. But uh, uh, they're about 40 hours or, or longer each. And that uh, there's uh, there are certainly many other collections, but those are... Uh, now, if you want older stuff, there's certainly many older collections. There's single author collections. There's, you know, um, uh, collections of, you know, Nebula Awards go way back, you know, into the 90s and 80s, I think, some of them. There's, there's various genre-type collections. There's uh, cyberpunk anthology, Mirror Shades, if you want to read about that, which I kind of enjoyed that stuff in the 80s. And... Uh, Oh, there's all kinds of collections out there. Now, uh, how do you spell Gardner's last name? D-O-Z-O-I-S. D-O-Z-O-I-S. Oh, okay. okay. No, I, what are Mirror Shades? That's just the name of the, uh, that's the name of the cyberpunk collection. Um, okay. Mirror Shades are glasses that apparently uh, look like mirrors. From the no, they, are, they are sunglasses. They're sunglasses, I, yeah. I remember seeing them around back before I lost my eyesight. They, um, filter the light from behind the glasses. They just look like sunglasses. You're looking out at a shaded world around you from the outside, from somebody looking at you. They look like you have a couple of mirrors over your eyes and they can see themselves in it. And it's um, it's um, people who wear them, well, uh, let's put it this way, they think they're hot shit. <laughs> Gardner, uh, 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 uh. Uh, what's his name? It's Bruce Sterling. Kind of futuristic. futuristic. Yeah, they were, they were supposed to at the time. Yeah. Um, Bruce Sterling gives a very good introduction to the genre, though, at the beginning of that book. So if you haven't read any of it, I just dove in when when uh, Asimov's published Neuro or um, Count Zero in 1984. That was my first real exposure to it, and uh, I was pretty dazzled at the time. And um, it's it's it's. Uh, I have issues with it in some ways, but I still enjoy it. It's pretty dark, uh, a lot of it. But it's cyber on one side. It's about computers and AI and stuff, and there's punk on the other side. You know, the street people and you know a lot of crime and drugs and prostitution stuff. And it's how those two things come together and how people use. You know, I mean, there's corporate people in it also but there's a lot of you know down people you know down and out people and it's it's a and, but the writing style is also unique he explains all that at the beginning of it if you want to read something like that but as i said if you want to read modern sf in short form those gardner Dozois collections are a good place to start and that'll keep you busy a long time yeah thank you <laughs> one book that i keep circling and I can't remember why I've heard a lot of recommendations and I wonder what you all think about um, but I, for some reason I don't know what happens I get to a couple sentences and something distracts me, another book to read and how it is but what do you guys think about Ready Player One? I haven't read it, who's a writer who wrote it? 
you know, I can't remember, but it is fairly recent, and um, it is something that I have just heard a lot of recommendations about. I, I haven't read it, but it's it's a really popular book. I think it was on the uh, New York Stevenson? Times bestseller list. Is that yeah. Stevenson? I think. Was no, that? I don't think it's. Stevenson. He wrote a book about. He wrote a but book. It, about if I understand correctly, it's about somebody who plays video games and ends up in the world of the video game or something oh. like that. But I'm not sure because I've never read it. Okay, uh, Anne. Yes. You're still Hi. here. I am still here. I'm sorry I'm late. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I. Uh, That's fine. Well, I was late too. Well, my my uh, my Braille note apparently uh, needs a new battery, and it's not going to get one because it's an old Apex, and it's not going to get one. But anyway, uh, and that means that the clock is 15 minutes slow. So I heard this beeping from upstairs, and by the time I heard the beeping, it was seven after nine. So. It's like, okay. Anyhow, um, I have spent the last month, um, well, I, I got moon madness, moon madness again. <laughs> I, I really did. I got moon madness. Um, Elizabeth Moon has just published two books in a new series called Vata's Peace. And this is, um, if you're familiar with the Vada War series, which is five books, and has to do with uh, young Kai Vada, who goes off on a trading mission, and while she's gone, her whole family gets destroyed, except for a couple that. of people, and how they come back together and how they rebuild and so forth. Well, this series yeah. is called Vada's Peace. P-E-A-C-E. -E. Yes. Just thought I'd -E. put that in there. <laughs> and it is not available on BARD. It is, however, available on Bookshare. <clears throat> and I highly recommend it. The first book starts off with a shuttle crash, which is engineered. It's um, sabotaged. And uh, the, the crash. And Not like our crashes that are just incompetence. No, this is sabotage. <laughs> anyway, uh, Kai Vada is returning to um, Slaughter Key, uh, which is her original planet, because her people wish to honor her and so forth because she's the admiral of the space army that saved them and so forth and she gets into the shuttle and she has this horrible accident and is stranded uh, in a life raft in the middle of the Antarctic Ocean and about 10 miles from the continent which is in the Antarctic and she ends up being there for oh I don't know, like six or seven months before she's rescued. Mm. So the first book is all about how she manages to survive and, and why she survives and how and, and so forth. 
And the second book takes up um, just after she comes back to the main city um, of of um, the planet, and um, she begins to realize that uh, the people who were responsible for her shuttle crash and so forth are still working very hard to destroy her and her family and all this. And the second book, which is um, called Into the Fire, is um, about how she finds out what the plot is and who's plotting and why. And she ends up, of course, coming out on top. And I won't tell you how, because I don't believe in spoilers. But the two books are Cold Welcome and Into the Fire. And they That's are by... the end? Pardon? Is that the end? Is there more? To... Do you think there'll be more? I don't know. There may oh. be more. I don't know. But, so it doesn't uh, she... end on a... It doesn't end as though, you know, like on a cliffhanger or anything. Well, no. It doesn't end on a cliffhanger, but oh, okay. there might be more. Oh, okay. They're there might be more because, um, because of the way it ends. Uh, it's not a cliffhanger, but there is a possibility for more. So, Vada's Peace, is that the name of the, of the, of the, the package of the two books? or is that Yeah, the that's the name of the series, is okay. Vada's Peace. And, and can you download it, Bookshare, as a... You know, continue the two books? No, it's two separate books. Two separate. Two separate books. Um, and the first book is Cold Welcome, and the second book is Into the Fire. Ah, so, we have a contrast of cold and warmth there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, of course, you know, since Elizabeth Moon is one of my absolute favorite authors, um, I, well, I actually went looking on Bookshare to see which books they had of Elizabeth Moon's because some little bird said that he had um, some things he was scanning and wanted me to proof, and they were by Elizabeth Moon, and I wanted to see what things were available and what wasn't. So I found these two books, and I downloaded them, and I read them. Good. Well, I sent you an email, so I'll okay. get this to you. Uh, but anyway, I won't disturb the meeting with that. But who's on the phone? Is it a 304 number? No, it was. Hold on, I gotta go look. Oh, um, I, I have to re. I have to go relook. I was looking at this Ready Player One. It's about a guy who leaves. Is it a eight something number? That might be Marshall. No, he's he's. This Ready Player One is about some guy who has a video game with an Easter egg in it, and whoever finds the Easter egg gets his fortune. Oh, uh, my. <laughs> so, um, that, in 2045. So that makes it SF, I guess. Mm, okay. Um. It might be worth reading. I'd like to look at some reviews first, because 2045 is an awful long way into the future in some the way things are changing now, and I'd like to uh, hear how the author... You know, gets uh, you know how what he's if he's doing any imagination here, or is he just? I on. hate to disillusion you, Evan, 
but 2045 is only 27 years from now. <laughs> That's a long way off, the way things are changing. Think about how things were like mm -hmm. 27 years ago, uh, and there was no internet to speak of. Well, it was an internet, but it wasn't much. No World Wide Web, no Facebook, no iPhone, no social media, no Bard. Well, that's true. You, you got me there. So things can change a lot in 26 years. I, I do believe that Ready Player One was on the New York Times bestseller list, so it's a pretty well-known book. Yeah, thank you. I don't remember what I have read about it, but I just know you guys were quite conversed with all this stuff, so thanks. Can you give it a try? I invited a lady friend of mine to join us by phone, and as of um, as of eight thirty, she was still saying that she would try it out, mm. but it looks like she didn't quite make it, or maybe she did make it at nine o'clock. And since um, nobody's here, so a few cool. minutes late, she may have just quit. I'll have to ask yeah. her, but she wouldn't have brought a book anyway. I just thought she might like to listen in and maybe make a few quips here and there. <laughs> well, um, we've all gone, and uh, I'm going. I'm getting a little. Uh, what tired. about what was your name, Jeannie? Jenny or what is Jenny? Jenny, did you didn't go? That's right. You were just asking about Ray. Did you? Right. Wanna, did you? Did you bring a book that you wanted to talk about specifically? You no, read? you know, um, I haven't really found a science. I have. I guess I feel um, I haven't found a book that I would recommend right now. Um, I used to be very much into science fiction when I was younger. Uh, now, as an older person, I find myself impatient with it. But you don't have to have a book you can recommend. Yeah. You can have a book you hate. <laughs> I mentioned that. Many I'll keep times that in mind. I'll keep that. In okay. To this meeting, you well, don't have to bring books you recommend. Okay. You can bring a book you want to disrecommend. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a book that um. I just had kind of lukewarm feelings about, um, and that was Andy Weir's new book. I can't remember. Oh, gosh. But I, I hope that he will do another one. Um, the Martian. Uh, I like The Martian. I'm hoping he'll... I didn't like his second book. I can't... Was well, that about? was good. The, the one about the moon? I thought yeah, that was Yeah, I know. Good. Most people really... It was a good book. For some reason, I just... Um, it wasn't something that um, I especially was fond of. Um, picky in my old age, but I, I just um, wonder if Artemis. Andy Weir. If Artemis. Andy Weir. Artemis, Artemis, that's right. Artemis, yes, wonderful title. I wonder if Andy Weir is writing another book here again with the questions. Um, do, does any of you know if he has one in the pipeline? I don't know. The place I usually go to find out is um, if there's a book in the pipeline is to just Google mm -hmm. or go to Amazon. Yeah. If, it's, if mm -hmm. it's in the pipeline for publication, they'll tell you. Yeah. yeah. And they'll have a date for you. Uh huh. Well, if you like older science fiction, I mean, you know, relatively older science fiction, uh, you might want to try C.S. Lewis's uh, science fiction trilogy. Which, what would be the title of that? Well, uh, there are three books. Um, Out of the Silent Planet. Out of the Silent oh, Planet, yeah. Paralandra, and, and That, that hideous, hideous Strength. Strength. And Out of the Silent Planet would be the first, right? Yes. Okay, I will try. I've heard. It's one of those things I think I have um, meant to read it, but I never got around to it. Thank you. Thank you very You're much. You're welcome. I'll try that. That's most They're, excellent. 
there I like Paralandra the best because it was I thought it was the most, the most beautiful. Oh, um, absolutely, yeah. But it is they are message books. Oh yeah. Um, they're they does have uh, an agenda. Does have a message. <laughs> mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. That you just need to be if you're not into that sort of thing, which if the author does it well, I can I can tolerate it, you know. As I said, I read those books and they Lewis had, you know, some imagination. He had a message to deliver, but he was able to package it up, you know. I can't read the Narnia books anymore, but I loved them when I was a kid. I kept waiting for the door to open, you know. Oh, I, I just finished rereading. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, I just fin finished rereading. Um, <laughs> but, um, I have to read them every once in a while. But <laughs> I am reading the fourth book in, and I'm not, well, I, I finished the third book in Ian Douglas's Star Carrier series, and I, I'm feeling a little tired, so I'm just going to be brief, but it's called uh, Singularity, and it's about, it, this is a military SF, but I don't, and I don't really like military SF much, but I, I got these books, as I said last time, because he has a, 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 a sense of wonder that I haven't seen in a lot of other writers, and he uh, and this book, this series is about uh, the technological singularity, which aliens are trying to prevent. And in the third book, Singularity, we find out a little bit more about why the aliens are trying to keep humanity from having its own technological singularity. And I don't know how much I should say because I don't know if anybody's going to read it. But um, it's the third. Bard is working on books four through six and seven and eight which are the, the eight is supposedly the penultimate book. So hopefully I'm looking for a big payoff at book nine because presumably humanity will have won its right to have a singularity by then. They will have <laughs> truced or beaten whoever. And, um, but I'm reading it. I, I've read them pretty quickly. I skimmed through the military action, but he does have a sense of wonder. He's, you know, he's, he imagines his plan. They're exotic ray aliens. I keep thinking of Mary when I read these because even though I don't think she's very much into S in military SF, he's got some really imaginative aliens here, and she always liked them. I remember she was really into aliens that were well imagined, and Ian Douglas does some of that in these books. So I kind of think about her when I when he describes some of the aliens that he's got in these books. And there are quite a few of them. So anyway, that's my book. And uh, next month I'll have something a little more substantial for you. I'll we'll be over this cold by then. How would I look for it on, on Bard under, under the altar? Uh, look for Star Carrier, uh, books one through three. Just look under Ian Douglas. He's got another series there called The Andromedan Dark which I also li I liked actually even better than these, at least so far, but I like these Star Carrier books. But Andromedan Dark is in there, Altered Starscape and, Altered Starscape and um, Darkness Falling, which they get hurled four billion years into the future. Andromedan Galaxy is about to collide with the Milky Way, and there are some really advanced aliens in that. And, that is, and there's a lot of alien megastructures in it, you know, that have been abandoned or might not quite be abandoned yet. We don't know. Sometimes they, we're not sure. But it's very good. I, I mean, if more military SF were like the stuff he does, I could probably read more of it. 
And I think he writes, he's written some other military SF books that I'm not sure are quite as imaginative. Uh, but I'm, you know, but I'm really enjoying these uh, Star Carrier books um, so far. So that sounds great. Okay, well, our next meeting is going to be on November the 14th. It's five weeks this time because um, the next four weeks is November 7th. So it's November 14th. Uh, next to last meeting of the year. Um, mm. So I hope people will bring more books. And remember, Jenny, you don't have to like it. You can oh, got you, got you. Say you don't like it and tell yeah, us I all reviewed, about why you don't like it. I reviewed okay. some books here that I didn't like at all. No, he, oh, he reviewed some terror from real, <laughs> real junk. <laughs> Carolyn Kenyon and, oh, man, some real bad stuff. Oh, dear. I'll keep that in mind, yeah. All righty. Okay, I'm off. Guys. Okay, signing have off for me too. Good night, all. Have a good uh, month, and we'll talk to you next month.